I'm Becky Gannon, and I'm mad about miniatures. Today, we're going to talk to Shannon Taylor, who creates beautiful miniature worlds inside antique compacts. Most of her professional life, she has painted regular-sized watercolors. Her foray into miniature art actually began as a result of a disaster, but ended up bringing even more fulfillment and success. Shannon is on Instagram at Magic Maker Dreamweaver. Let's go talk to Shannon. Hello, Shannon. It's so nice to have you on the show today. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. You make these amazing compacts that have like little tiny miniature worlds in them. And they're so unique and beautiful. And one of the things you told me is that basically it was sort of a misfortune that led you to create these. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. So about a year ago, during the big sort of rain season in California, there was a huge storm that swept through and it ended up flooding the basement of our house and my studio is in the basement. So I I came downstairs one morning to the sound of running water, which when you don't expect it is maybe the most terrifying of all sounds. And this is your art studio because you're, you've been a working artist for many, many years. Yeah. So I ended up having to, I was bailing out our basement oh, and no. I ended up having to move my practice upstairs. You know, I kind of just shoved everything into the middle of the room, dried everything out as well as we could. I ended up in our dining room. Wait, so was there actually standing water in your basement? Yes. (laughs) Um, How much? Well, so we have like a half is finished and half is unfinished. And so uh, we just, it's, we are recent homeowners and we just didn't know that it could have, that it was going to get that bad. And like, it had been a whole bunch of years of drought. So there was no like report of how crazy the basement got. So we were really underprepared for, for the amount of water that was coming in. And so the water ended up pushing through to my side of the basement. When I came downstairs, I just heard like this little, like, it's like the sound of like a faucet on where it's like catching in water. Like it was like that sound. I was like, I was like, oh no. And then I looked down and there's just like water all over the floor. And I was like, no. So you salvaged what you could. You must have lost some stuff. You know, I, I didn't have very much on the floor. I had a rug down there that got pretty wet, but most of what I had was in uh, cabinets and like off the ground, which was really lucky. But, you know, like I had, I like brought my computer and I brought like all of my supplies and I set up shop in our dining room. It was our dining room table. And then the world's smallest table is where I ended up setting up my sort of workspace. I would compare it to like, it's like a table that could hold like a lamp (laughs) 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 or like, you know, like it it would be like mm, where you keep your keys. Oh dear. You can't do artwork on a decorative table. I was trying to wrap up some pieces. Like I was working on them the day that I was, that this flood happened. And I was cleaning this really beautiful antique piece of convex bubble glass. And I had been cleaning it for like an hour and I dropped it because I was, you know, I was at my dining room table and I was going back and forth between this tiny table and it didn't even, it didn't even break into pieces. It just like atomized. No. <laughs> so it's like one of those moments where you just 
like everything sort of stops and you're you just like you're just like I just I I don't know how <laughs> it's like I, I know I'm gonna have to clean up all this glass and then just like being so defeated. <laughs> well, and you probably also thought like this isn't working. No. Oh. I need to rethink after I clean up and cry and have some ice cream. I need to do <laughs> some thinking. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So I I finished up. I had a few pieces that were going to shows. I finished those. And these are regular sized artwork. Yeah. So I've I've always been a watercolor painter. So they're regular sized watercolors and some of them were these sort of dimensional pieces cuz I was I was starting to like play around with that, but I just realized the space wasn't adequate to make the same kind of work and like my stress levels were incredibly high <laughs> and so I made um like a few of the compact pieces uh, I made one for my mom and it was really like an exercise in de-stressing I had been using these vintage compacts to make watercolor palettes that's so cool which it's like I I have I teach a sketchbook class and we travel everywhere. It's nice to have something that's really small and really personalized and like beautiful, but like really practical too. That is that's a really cool idea. So I had a bunch of compacts, and uh, I had a few that didn't open all the way flat, which is like what you need for like a watercolor palette. So you have a like a tray side with all the color and then you have like a mixing side so I had a few compacts that they would open to like 90 degrees or they wouldn't open all the way flat and so I started making these little dioramas in them and the reaction was intense <laughs> and enthusiastic is there a moment when you're like I've got these compacts I've been working on dimensional things like Tell me exactly how that happened. Was there a eureka? There had to be some kind of eureka moment. I had done like some miniature painting before because I had I had done like customized like lockets, you know, smaller scale things. And I had found a piece I had made for a store I used to contract with when I was making, when I was doing sort of uh, jewelry and clothing customization, like very long time ago. Okay. So I, I cleaned my studio and I sort of, I found one of these pieces like before the storm. And it was like a very, a very basic version of one of these compacts. It just had like two or three layers of paper. And I was like, oh, like I really liked making those. And so I put, I put a video of it up on my Instagram and like that went at the time that was, you know, it went crazy for me, which was it was not that many views, but it felt felt wild. Right, uh, right. I know that first viral video is so exciting. <laughs> I rem- I remember that. <laughs> You're just like, what is going on? I had to turn off my notifications because they were pinging so oh, much. Oh no! Like now, I just like I see, and I just sort of like turn my phone face down. I'm like, not not now. <laughs> so all this was going in your mind before the storm. So the storm was happening, and then. Um, that was crazy. And I had made this thing and people had liked it. And like, I I had these, these little containers and they were sort of perfect for like doing something like that again. I made one for my mom just to de-stress. And then I started, I made a few more and then people were like, I was getting just a ton of interest and feedback about them. And 
So I, I made a group of like eight of them and sold them on my site and they sold really fast. And then after that, one of the galleries that I work with in Philadelphia, Arch Enemy Arts, one of their curators uh, contacted me and asked me if I wanted to do a solo show of just the compact pieces. And I said, yes. And uh, basically ever since that show, it's been sort of nonstop. And it's like, I'm like booked out into like 2020, like late 2025 now. And it's, it's crazy. That's amazing. And what a story, you know, the old cliche, you know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. I mean, yeah. in a way, like the basement flooding was the best thing that could have happened. <laughs> it's um, it's funny. I was just in a store with my husband the other day and they had a poster on the wall that says, when life give you, gives you lemons, eat the lemon. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was kind of because like, you know, I would I'd be making these tiny things upstairs and then I would like put on my like rubber boots and then go into the basement and like make sure that like all the hoses from the sump pumps were clear. It was awful. So, <laughs> oh anyway. my gosh. That, that is crazy. <laughs> so these little worlds in the locket, tell us a little bit about your process making them because they have multiple layers and they look pretty complex. They are. <laughs> <laughs> so they are multiple layers of hand painted uh, watercolor. So it's, it's all these paintings on 90 pound paper. And then I do sort of a like a matte painting background on the the like full sort of backing of the top and bottom piece. And then I try to build in as much depth as I can with that sort of backing piece just because it's like the greatest opportunity to show like, you know, any sort of real like sense of distance. And you do that with your colors and your perspective trying to build a lot of like atmospheric perspective, trying to build a sense of like world or universe just a little bit. And then from there, there are some like dimensional elements that will kind of come from the sides of the frame. So trees and clouds and hills and, you know, lots of different kinds of little elements, sometimes mushrooms. I love the mushrooms. The mushrooms are very fanciful. And the muscles, I love them all. But when you say the sides, I mean, the depth of these things, you have a number of layers, but mm -hmm. they're not that deep. No, the paper itself is quite slim, which is really helpful because it's a low poundage. But then I've made little tiny risers out of like a heavier weight watercolor paper, and then I, I cut them down. So I'll stack things up from the back coming forwards. And then... Oh. On top of that, I also do all these little hand cut flowers and I'll do hand cut grasses and like things to kind of break up the really sort of flat feeling. And I'll model things a little bit by uh, manipulating them, by bending them lightly or sort of uh, like stretching them around like something like the end of a brush, just so that there's a little bit more sense of dimensionality. I took a class at uh, Guild School, and when we made paper flowers, after you cut the petals, you you have a little tool you mold each and every one with. This is it, yes. <laughs> each and every one. And I'm, I was thinking about that because you have all these flowers and pieces, and uh, I love this class. Pia Becca took, uh, taught it, and it, I, my pansies turned out great. 
I will say, though, after a week, I had about five to seven pansies, and I was very proud of them. But, you know, there's, you have to, you have to paint both sides. Yep. Um, you know, you, you either hand cut them or punch them. You have to glue them. The pansy has like 30 parts or some crazy amount. Yeah. It's very time consuming. And then it's very easy to lose petals. Do you ever lose anything? Oh, all the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so now I keep all of my little component pieces in bead organizers, like just those little plastic right. separator trays. And that has been great. When I first started doing this, I didn't have anything to keep anything in. So I just had them like arranged in very neat piles on a piece of masonite. And then our Roomba hit the table that they were on while I was out. So it, it started vacuuming up like, you know, just like huge, like you think about like all the hours of work. So it was vacuuming them. And then some of them went in like the vent. <laughs> My husband like heard it and ran and like he emptied out the room and he sent me this photo that I was I was eating like crepes <laughs> with like a group of friends and I get this photo it's just it looks like a pile of dirty confetti and it oh. was it was like all these pieces that he had like swept up and it was did you just like spit a grape out of your mouth <laughs> I mean it it was not dissimilar from the feeling of seeing like an inch of standing water in my workshop where it's just like, oh, this is going to be so much work. <laughs> I think now of your bead organizers, if you lost a bead organizer, I mean, that's what, like, depending on how full you have it, 10, 15, 60 hours. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no. Of work. Yeah. <laughs> a tiny little container. Could you save it from the Roomba? I was able to save some of it from the Roomba, but I originally, when I started out, I was using a heavier weight paper. And then mm-hmm. I've sort of like learned things as I've done it, just because like you run into like a problem and then you're like, oh, there's got to be a better way. So it's like getting the organizers and like people won't be able to see this, but you can see this. But like, like this is like the little organizer I use. So how many hours is are these like 12 containers? Oh, I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> so many. Okay. There's a lot of petals, folks, in, in a very, very, I mean, not even the organizer that you see me online use for my miniatures, much smaller, real tiny bead organizers. Yeah. Okay. But that's one of the things you've learned around the way is don't leave the rumba on and use a bead organizer. Use the organizers, keep everything off the floor. I always pack everything away if I'm like leaving even just for a little bit because, you know, like an errant wind or like like somebody walking too quickly past will like just send everything into the air. And I sighed during the flower class because I was having trouble Mm -hmm. and I was frustrated. But after I sighed, I was more frustrated because then I had to go look for my petals. (laughs) Oh, oh, never deep sigh. The deep sigh is the... It doesn't matter how frustrated you are. Just keep it, keep it in. <laughs> the main thing is like, um, like I use like a little uh, silicone pad to like do all of the kind of like flower manipulations and like the little mm-hmm. folding. And that's actually kind of nice because it's a little bit, you know, silicone's got like a little bit of a tack to it. So yeah. it, things don't blow away quite as easy. And I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> Now, tell me a little, you use a special kind of watercolor, you told me. 
Yeah. So I use two brands primarily. I use uh, Holbein, which is a Japanese watercolor brand. Um, and they're just really beautiful color. Uh, like the the pigment is really amazing. Um, they still use honey as one of the humectants. So they stay really like rich and moist and they don't dry out as much as other color. And then I also use a local brand called Case for Making, which is located in San Francisco. And it's a woman owned and operated and they make all their watercolor on site. But that's where I primarily get any of the neon color or the really like vivid, especially like the purples mm-hmm. um, that I use. They're, the color is really beautiful and the pigments that they source as far as like fluorescence or like sort of traditionally like non-light fast color, they don't really fade in the same way I found as other paints. Wow. Yeah. I will say when I saw your work, my mom was an artist, so I can usually tell at least the basics is that watercolor is that acrylic. And it took me a minute because the colors are so vivid and we don't always see that in watercolor. My Italian grandmother and I used to paint together. She's actually how I learned how to paint. It was sort of like an, an amazing sort of queen of the the edgy compliment where <laughs> uh, we were sitting down and she was like, oh, honey, I I would just love to paint watercolor with you one day. And we're at her dining room table, literally painting with our watercolors at the same time. I was like, grandma, like what this is. But this is what we're doing like right now. And she's like, oh, is that what you call it? (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) I know. I was just like, hmm, okay. (laughs) Not traditional, I guess. (laughs) But I think they're beautiful. And it is that fluorescence, those fantasy colors. I mean, all your worlds are very intricate. There's definitely a fantasy element in the coloring, which I love. And I really love that miniature world. And now that you're firmly ensconced in doing miniatures, whether by accident (laughs) or divine purpose or whatever, what do you love about creating these miniature worlds? I think what I like and maybe what I've noticed other people really like is they're sort of these tiny little portals where you can, they're like an escape. Like it's an escape for me to make them. It's an escape for people to like have them and look at them and being able to like open them. It's sort of like the Polly Pockets from the 90s. There's something just really kind of like deeply enchanting and satisfying about having like a tiny pocket universe. It's like a like a power thing or <laughs> I know what you mean. And they had Polly Pockets way before the 90s because they had them when I was growing up. Yeah. And I think that's just not true just of Polly Pockets, but I think that's the appeal of miniatures of any size or scale Mm -hmm. is that you have this world that you can kind of control or build or make your own. And it can, because it's small, it can be perfect and beautiful and exactly what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have some memories of miniatures from your childhood or? Oh, yeah. So... (laughs) We talked about this a little bit, but uh, I was really deeply enchanted by polymer clay and making polymer dolls. Uh, And I would make all their costumes and I like they would be jointed and I would make tiny little doll wigs. 
So the miniatures didn't come <laughs> just out of the blue. No, I'm, no. It's interesting. Whenever I talk to miniatures, sometimes they say they've done it for a long time. Sometimes often they'll say, I just picked it up, this or that. But then when I pry deeper, there's always a childhood memory. There's always yeah. a connection. H- how big were they? Just a few inches tall, maybe like half Barbie size, I would say. That's like a, a metric people could use. Yeah, I would say like top height was maybe about six inches tall. And I would make these really elaborate sets for them out of boxes. And I, I would adorable. sew curtains. And it was a very elaborate uh, pastime. I made the the entire world of the Nutcracker where each of the different sets was like a different box i was very obsessed with ballet so <laughs> i made That's like so all cool. the dolls now how old were you i was maybe like 10 or 11 okay so do you have any pictures or are any of these <laughs> exist today uh I, I believe that my mother still has some i know my grandma had a few my mom is amazing at sort of squirreling things away so i'm sure that there's just like some terrifying box that's filled with like these polymer dolls have you seen them since you created them like i always wonder when you go back like you say oh these are pretty good or oh my gosh in my mind these were so much nicer (laughs) (laughs) i'm not saying that yours aren't beautiful that's i'm i'm talking about myself my grandma had a set that i i had given her you know when i was maybe 11 in her house forever and it was a doll with a then miniature version of the doll that was hers. And they they each had like a tiny chair that they would sit in. And that is the one that comes to mind the most. I haven't seen the other ones in a long time, but I have, I have one very embarrassing photo of me, maybe at age 12, winning a blue ribbon at the state fair. It was like a wicker basket full of dolls. <laughs> That's so adorable. No, I mean, if they're blue ribbon, you can be proud. I know. <laughs> I feel like your fans would love to see a picture of that. The The funniest part is that I, I only got a red ribbon. I got a second place ribbon for the for the drawings that I did. So I really was very invested in the idea that I was going to be making these dolls. So <laughs> like, obviously, this is what the people want. So. I wanted to ask you something you said in when we talked a little before about you spend a lot of time kind of trying to conceal the walls or the sides of the mm. compact. Yeah, so it, it's not that dissimilar from the way you might think about like a Victorian paper theater. Oh, yes. Things are just like I try to use like framing elements that are like that make sense with the image. So, you know, it could be like sort of strategic like trees or like strategic sort of structures just to kind of keep the illusion of like the depth and the world as much as possible where you're not seeing the sort of armature. And I also love the amazing compact you find and I love how you tailor them. Like the frog one has (laughs) something frog related. (laughs) You've had some with pumpkins. So (laughs) does the compact itself really inspire you? Oh yes. And that was true when I was doing 2D work more too, because I would always buy antique and vintage frames and then I would make the work to the frame because I, I liked being able to understand what the finished piece would look like, including how it would be housed. And it makes a lot of sense with the compacts because sometimes just the shape of them will really, the 
build a really clear picture or, you know, if there, there have been a few different animal ones or there are these amazing, there are little portable sewing kits that are in metal walnut shells, Mm -hmm. which I, I love those. So I feel like it definitely helps direct what the project is. And I have like a background as an illustrator. And so I'm sort of like having that framework in mind, like really kind of like helps me think like how I can really work with that space. That's so cool. And where do you find these beautiful compacts? Because by now you must have a pretty good collection of them. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, there is a drawer in my desk that there cannot be any more put in there. (laughs) So I, I find them everywhere. I look uh, online, I look at flea markets and antique stores, and people have sent me boxes full of compacts, which is... Oh, that's nice. Very nice thing to do. So I'm basically always looking, and because I have been browsing for so long that I'm like, I'm a little bit better versed now in the brands and the ones that are like a little bit more rare versus the ones that are really common and what the sort of average price point is for things. So that that's actually helped a lot. Oh, I bet. Just the like saturation of compacts in my life. (laughs) Right. And you start to see what works. And also the ones you get are always so beautiful outside. Do you spend a lot of time cleaning them? I will clean them. I do try to get ones that are in as good of shape as possible And I also try to get compacts where I'm not destroying any of the original hardware, if at all possible, so that I'm not like having to pull things out to make these so that if somebody wanted to like restore a compact, (laughs) it just pulled my art right out. I would hope that they wouldn't do that, but I I don't think they would. (laughs) But it also probably makes it easier for you that you don't have to do a lot of internal fussing around with it. The thing is, is that because they were this object that was usually kept in like a bag or a pocket or somewhere that was uh, protected, most of them are in pretty good condition. Really? They're, they're such a like specific kind of an object that it's, it's almost like it's an accessory to like what you would be wearing. So like the care that was given to them is typically really quite high. The only time that where I've had to do any kind of like restorative work is is normally because of whatever the base metal is in like how they were made. So especially like if you get sort of Victorian compacts, they'll have some like interesting pot metal sort of mixes. And those, those sometimes need a little bit of work, but mostly they've been cared for really well. Oh, that's interesting. And it seems like a lot of yours are brass. So those probably clean Mm. up pretty nice. Yeah. And I, I do, uh, get other pieces, but brass is the most the most manufactured, and it's I I'd sort of lean towards like a warmer color scheme anyway. But also the silver ones tend to be very expensive because they're almost always solid silver, and right, they're very nice though. <laughs> I'm sure they are, but I can see where that would make less sense. <laughs> I went way back in your Instagram. Mm. Not as a stalker, but as a researcher. (laughs) (laughs) And I was so interested that a lot of your paint, some of your paintings were round and your compacts are mostly round. Mm -hmm. And most people don't paint round paintings. So obviously this round shape means something to you. It's a little bit uh, my own sort of natural 
like what I'm attracted to, but also people tend to just really prefer a rounded shape. It doesn't even have to be a circle, but the ovals or any of the rounded corner pieces, like anything that doesn't have like a a sharp corner and like a really harsh straight line, people seem to like more. And that's been sort of consistent across like my painted work, but then also into the compact work. Really? I don't think I have a single round or oval painting. (laughs) Now I really need one, but that's so interesting. I mean, I know that as far as my practice has gone, yeah, those are the paintings that always seem to sell really quickly or what will sell first. It's, It's always been a more natural shape. So I know you've been doing quite a few exhibits with your compacts. Yeah. I saw you wrote a little thing on like displaying them. And you had built, is it a banana slug shelf? <laughs> could I yeah. could I be getting that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that slug, S-L-U-G. Okay. <laughs> so that's a lot to unpack. Explain it to us. I had one show that I couldn't come out for the opening, but I sent the pieces out and the gallery set them up for me and it looked really beautiful. And then when I went down to Miami for Miami Art Week this past year, I realized like I needed something to display them that was because they're so small. They get a little yeah. eaten by like traditional kind of gallery shelving because it's just it's just made for like it's like a three quarter inch or one inch shelf. And that's like deeper than they are. So, right. Uh, no, that's what I was thinking. I've started making kind of like complementary, you know, shelves. And ways to like accessorize the art so that when they're set up in a gallery space, they can occupy the space and sort of a a larger kind of more, yeah, they're a little bit more present. So I like I went out with my dog and we collected a bunch of driftwood and then I made a whole bunch of driftwood shelves and they had, I sculpted some mushrooms off of them. And then I made a bunch of banana slugs. <laughs> Those were just I don't even know what a banana slug is. Oh, if you look it up, you will be, once you've seen them, you can't unsee them. They're they're about six inches long and they are bright yellow <laughs> into like kind of like a greenish color, but they're, um, they're really heavily in Northern California. Once you see one, you're going to see like 20. So they're really yellow. Like when I saw your shelf, yeah. I assumed you were just coloring oh. it like you do your... Your fantasy pictures. No, no. That's what they look like. (laughs) (laughs) I'm learning so much. (laughs) So driftwood, banana slugs, mushrooms. So the shelves themselves are handmade by you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, For the show that I recently had at Modern Eden in San Francisco, it was a combination of the shelves, some of the props I made, and I brought like a bunch of little magnifying glasses. And then the gallery had some very thin shelves that really complemented the things that I made. So it was like this sort of like mixture of everything. And nice. That ended up looking really nice. Do people ever try to buy the shelves too? Oh, people people could buy the shelves. Oh, big fun. Some of some of the slugs have sold. Yeah, and I'll I think I'll sort of take like what worked and what didn't and then you kind of like use that to inform like the next show and how you want to set things up and each of the shows has a little bit different of like um like a theme to it so kind of like changes as you go 
So what are some of the themes of your events? I mean, your gallery exhibits. So it's always inspired by nature and I love decorative art and I love just like any sort of natural like weather phenomena. Like I love rainbows. I just saw a night rainbow for the first time ever and maybe the only time ever. And that was amazing. And we're going to be seeing that in some compacts, aren't we? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Lunar rainbow was, was wild. Things always sort of revolve around the natural world as far as the general themes of work. But I also feel like a lot of things tie back into folklore or mythology or sort of classic stories. Like I love a Greek myth or like a, like a Russian folk story. Like You can see that. You can see yeah. that. In, and I think we talked, we both love kind of fantasy literature. With, oh, yeah. <laughs> which I could kind of tell. I was like, I bet we read the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> So that's so fascinating. I'm going to get back to a little, I have a little sticky. Don't forget to ask her what kind of glue she uses. <laughs> My, I have a couple listeners that always want to know. Everyone's very interested in glue in the miniature world. Yes. <laughs> so I use E6000. Got a little bit of body and it can glue to kind of multiple surfaces and it's a little bit flexible. So when it dries, you know, it's not like a brittle hold, so it's not going to move. I think it's really important, especially because I'm working with multiple types of surface. So I'm working with metal and paper, and it's a nice flexible bond, and it's strong. And it, you know, you don't have to use a lot to place things, and it will it'll hold really quite well. The nice thing about the compacts is that when they're, because they all closed. So when they're closed, it's actually like a really secure environment. I won't say that I have thrown them, but I have definitely dropped them violently and they've been fine. I have this vision now of you (laughs) testing them, you know, like the old Samsonite commercial of the gorillas jumping on the suitcase. (laughs) She doesn't, she doesn't actually do that, folks. No, I don't. I don't do that. (laughs) Now, In addition to making amazing miniatures, you also have kind of the coolest day job I've ever heard of. Tell us what you do. I run the art department. I'm the director of art and restoration at Children's Fairyland, which is the U.S. oldest storybook park. It's on the shores of Lake Merritt. It's 10 acres of park, and it was built in 1950. It was the inspiration for Disneyland. I am in charge of Anything that is painted or sculpted or any sort of artwork that happens in the physical park. And that's a lot of what the physical park is, right? Decorative (laughs) statues of owls and elves and little buildings that look like elves. Am I right? Yeah. So like we restored a 20 horse carousel and then and then a small one that was Alice in Wonderland themed and. I worked on a 30-foot long dragon slide that's shaped like a dragon where it basically like it eats you <laughs> and oh. you get shot out the back. <laughs> I love that so much. It just yeah. made my day. I run the art department at Fairyland, and then I also am the assistant chair of the illustration program at the California College of the Arts. I don't have a lot of free time, but both of my jobs are really amazing. 
They sound amazing. How does one get to be the art director at Fairyland? <laughs> Is there some sort of magical, you know, you have to, you know, burn your application in the fireplace or something? I mean, I wouldn't be wrong if there were maybe some spells said. No. Um, I, I volunteered in the art department and then I worked a little bit whenever there were extra hours. And I basically just waited for the uh, the other art department to leave. You've been working for them since you were in high school, college? Uh, right before I went to grad school. Sort of uh, like the year before I went to grad school. I worked for Fairyland for over 13 years. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. What a fun job. What project are you working on now? We are gearing up for our 75th anniversary in 2025. So we're getting a lot of things ready for that. I mean, we've been kind of doing a big push, getting ready, you know, project proposals and celebration stuff that's going to happen for that. Mostly right now in winter, it's a lot of maintenance work. So we're doing some of the basic figure maintenance. Any of the sculptures in the park that are the same size as children end up getting really, really worn down because children are the most incredible they're sandpaper they would just wear everything down they're constantly touching it constantly so uh, any any of the characters that are their size just get like their faces just get worn off there's a figure of snow white who we have to rebuild her nose at least every two years and she has to get painted like once a year because the kids kiss her face all the time but they kiss it so much and so often that it wears her nose off. <laughs> that is a lot of a lot, a lot of, of love. love. That is a lot of love. Talk about tough love, but that, that is, is a ab- rough love. <laughs> that is an abrasive amount of love. Wow. Yeah. Well, having two little boys, I can just see the the destructive love they would set oh, yeah. forth on a character. There are definitely a few figures in the park that could really use some time and attention. <laughs> some love. Because yes. we've gotten the other kind of love. Yes. <laughs> well, 75th anniversary, that'll be exciting. Yeah, it should be a really fun year. We're doing all of the planning right now, and it seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. That's great. So have you met a lot of other miniatures doing some of these shows? Because I know that you've been in shows with some other miniatures. Yeah, so I, I've gotten to meet a few different people. I was in a, a miniatures show at the Bedford Gallery in Walnut Creek, and I actually got to meet a bunch of people through that that are just amazing. And just uh, my, my brother-in-law, he does model miniatures, and everybody I have met in the modeling community has been incredibly nice and has like really good advice. And just everybody is incredibly encouraging. And like, I feel very much like a, I'm I like, I don't work to like a specific scale. And <laughs> I'm just like, I'm, I'm sort of here, but I'm also like, I know I'm a little bit like not in the same, in the same realm, but um, everybody's been really, really nice. You know, I think welcome to the miniature family. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's kind of what I love about miniatures is just when you think you've seen it all, someone's done something different with it. And I'm okay with Shannon scale, (laughs) (laughs) which is not even the same because it varies per compact, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
I've always been kind of crafty and I've gone through lots of different crafts and many of the people I talked to on this podcast are the same. And I think what keeps my attention with miniatures is, besides truly the most amazing, talented, nicest people I've ever met, I know, I know I say that every podcast, but it's still true. It's still true. And and I'm grateful for it every day, you know. But also, it's not just one thing. Anything you can do in real life, you can make mini. I mean, there's always something different. And I kind of love that. And then you can always get tinier too. I I know it does sometimes feel like that is like eventually you're, you're like using a microscope and you're painting in between breaths and heartbeats. (laughs) I think there's room for everyone. Yeah. So do you have any more shows coming up or any big plans or any tiny plans? I should say. Yeah. So I have, I have a bunch of group shows coming up in spring. And then in summer, I am basically kind of doing back to back really big shows until I don't know, I crumble into dust. (laughs) And then at what point do you just kind of crawl under the bed with your dog and take a break? So currently, not never. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, that isn't on the agenda, Becky. I don't have time for that. I've always been really busy and I've always worked a lot. This this has reached a new height. I feel like I am always doing many, many things at once. I'm never going to read a paper book again. It's always going to be an audio book. <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy and very grateful to be this busy. I'm really happy that people have responded. It's something I like talk to my students about, but you know, you try to make things that you yourself love and are invested in and like have a lot of energy for because it you know that kind of work always like gives you something back it's not just like taking all the energy out of your body and like not replenishing it I feel like this work is very replenishing because it it's just so it's really enjoyable to make these kind of put something out there and you hope that like your people find you I think that's kind of what life is about. I used to tell my boys, like, you know, kids have trouble fitting in or stuff. I was like, you just have to find your people, you know? Yeah. And I feel like you found your people, Shannon, and we found you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, yay. So on that note, thank you so much for taking the time. I just love what you're doing, and I just think it's a wonderful extension of so much that people are already doing it, but you've kind of made it your own. and. And staked out a little magical world, a little magical compact world. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> really, the first time I saw it, I was just like, oh. <laughs> you know, you're flipping through and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, go back. <laughs> oh, and I love that. It's not easy to put a twist on a, an art form that's been around for thousands of years. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks again. And it was really fun talking to you. And we're gonna we're gonna share some pictures of Fairyland and your work, right? When this comes out, and maybe if we get really lucky, some of those little clay dolls, if they're not too embarrassing. I don't have the photo with me, but I know where it is. <laughs> okay, I'll hold you to that. Well, thank you so much, Shannon, and have a great day, and keep making beautiful miniatures. Oh, uh, thank you so much. Bye bye. Bye. I really enjoyed talking to Shannon, and be sure to check out her Instagram at Magic Maker Dreamweaver to see more of her exquisite work. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a review. It's how my podcast finds new listeners. 
and it also makes my day. I'll be back soon with another episode of Mad About Miniatures. Until then, remember, there are no rules in your dollhouse except those you create for yourself. Goodbye!